Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Doctor Matters Podcast, where we are going to continue to learn about progressive Christianity. And today, we are going to learn what it means to be all-inclusive, or as Grace Point Church in Nashville puts it, radically inclusive. Stand by. We're going to dis- dissect this once and for all to learn how to be radically inclusive and if this is actually biblical. The Doctor Matters Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the Doctrine Matters Podcast, a tool to help believers rediscover true biblical doctrine and to help them understand and live out their faith in their homes, in their churches, and in their communities. Thank you for listening to this episode. Let's get right to it. Well, welcome to this episode of the Doctrine Matters Podcast. As mentioned in the intro, we're going to continue our deep dive into progressive Christianity and do a crash course so we can learn exactly what progressive Christians believe and if it is indeed what the Bible says. Now, we have done two episodes so far where we have taken a crash course on progressive Christianity from Grace Point Church in Nashville. We've listened to two of their sermons, and we've kind of measured that up to the Bible to see if what they are saying is indeed from the Scriptures. The problem so far that we've run into is they deny the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. They deny the atonement. They deny that Jesus had to even shed his blood. They deny so many fundamental and foundational things of Christianity that so far we have, or at least I have, been to the my conclusion is that this is no christianity at all i think that's i think that's what's where i'm where i'm at i, I just am that i can't say that this is even any sort of christianity at all this is this is wicked evil pagan things this is so far nothing that the bible truly teaches as a matter of fact they don't even believe the story of adam and eve they they think that is a a made up story They don't believe it, so they don't start there. They believe that we are not separated from God, that we do not need to be reconciled with God, that everybody is born inherently good and not with a sin nature, so there's no need to be reconciled to God. So up to this point, my mind has not been changed, but I am willing. I am open. I am am just ready to have my mind blown, my mind changed, to see if what they are saying can actually persuade me to believe and become a progressive Christian. So without further ado, let's just get into the third installment of this. And it looks like there is a a different person that has just recently joined the staff here that is going to be bringing the quote-unquote message today. And uh, let me just go ahead and pull him up here. You can see um, he doesn't even appear to have a Bible on the little stool in front of him. And uh, maybe it's going to be on his phone. I don't know. Uh, but we are going to listen to this. It's about 30 minutes. I've got him sped up just a little more. If he's a slower talker, we'll speed him up just a little bit more to get through this quicker so we can listen to what progressive Christians truly believe. And you may wonder why I do this, because progressive Christianity is spreading, because people do not like to be held accountable for their sin. They do not like the uh, biblical teaching, and because it, it forces them to change their lifestyle and their behavior. So, so far, what I've understood, what I've understood and learned is that progressive Christians don't have to change their lifestyle or behavior 
and uh, they can still continue to live in darkness. Now, I'm excited to get into this to see how radically inclusive we should be as quote unquote Christians. And uh, let's just get right into this. So here we go. We're going to try to be persuaded that progressive Christianity is real. Okay, hello. Good morning. Okay. <laughs> Solid. Let's try it again. Let's see if we can reach into the recesses of our morning effort. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, we're here. Great. Um, hi. For those of you who don't know, my name is Mike Mayashiro. Um, I just jumped on staff here with Grace Point a couple months ago. And um, today I'm going to talk to you about radic being radically inclusive in our crash course on progressive Christianity. So this is going to be fun. Uh, before I get into any of that, I just want to make sure um, everyone knows about the screening of 1946 here on October 29th at 4 p.m. Um, for those of you who don't know what this movie is about, 1946, this movie um, does the work of showcasing how the word homosexual entered the English translation of the Bible in 1946, which wasn't that long ago. Um, it's a journalistic documentary. It's very well done. So if you haven't seen it, it's not publicly available anywhere. So now, let me just stop here and just say this movie, 1946, would say that, as he mentioned, the word homosexual does not appear in the English translation of the Bible until 1946, that up until that point, that nobody really condemned homosexuality because the word was not in the Bible. But the problem with that is, years and years and years and years before 1946, we have not only in Christianity, biblical Christianity, but in Judaism as well, homosexuality was condemned. Same-sex partners were condemned. Homosexuality was a sin. Sodom and Gomorrah, homosexuality was a sin. And just because they want to use these phrases to say that pornea was translated as homosexual when it shouldn't be, they're just trying to, to, to have some smoke and mirrors, just to try to throw you off of what the Bible truly teaches. So let me just go ahead and get that out of the way here. The Bible teaches that homosexuality is wrong. And the problem with people looking at this film, 1946, is they want to try to find a way in their life to continue in that sin and blame others for condemning that sin as sin. And they're using all kind of hermeneutical gymnastics. They're trying to redefine terms. They're trying to do all of these things when the, the reality is homosexuality has been condemned since the beginning of time. It is a sin against God. It is a sin that we have to understand is there. It is real, and it is true, and it existed long before 1946. So uh, if you hear somebody say that, don't, don't, let that uh, don't let them get you twisted on that because they're just trying to find a way to love their darkness so they don't have to leave it behind to be able to walk in true light. So this is a, a unique opportunity. Come join the private screening again October 29th, 4 p.m. Um, I'm friends with a few of the people in the film, and they just do a great job, um, objectively, as, as objectively as you can be, like laying out data and facts and getting to the root of how did we get here? How did this happen? And what kind of harm is being done from these errors? So I uh, hope you come check that out online. And just because we're talking about being radically in inclusive, this is the, the deal. The 1946 documentary gets to how we got here and the harm that was caused to people groups. Now, homosexuals are not considered their own people group, in my opinion. They're part of the human race, humanity, that are in sin and need to be held accountable in that sin. And they need to be called on their sin and they need to be preached the gospel or pr the gospel needs to be proclaimed to them so they could come out of that darkness and into light. So uh, they're not necessarily a people group. They are a people who are in sin. And um, 
it's interesting we're talking about radical inclusion and being radically inclusive and he's talking about 1946 and the the harm that has been done now yes there have been there's some harm that has been done to homosexuals and in a, a very unbiblical and very terrible way but we need to understand that although those people who have been terrible to homosexuals that doesn't mean that homosexuals now get a pass because they've been treated poorly in the past so we still have to wrestle with the bible in which I don't see one again on this little stool or anywhere near him. We'll see. Line community, we are working out to see if we can get you to be able to stream into it. Right now, we're not able to do that. So we are, we're still working on it, and we will let you know as soon as we have any more word on that. So sorry for not having that yet. Um, okay, so uh, if I'm new to you, um, I grew up in the Baptist world as a gay person, which was super fun for me. Um, and I am going to, I want to share some of my story just to give you some context for where I'm coming from on this. Especially. So here we go. I'm going to try not to stop it a lot, but here as a gay man in the Christian world. So he professes to be gay and a Christian. Those two cannot go together. That is darkness and light. So he is not a Christian if he is openly gay. So now we're going to see that he's not going to open up the Bible and expound on the biblical text. He's going to open up his life and share a story with us. So we're going to listen to this story and see how it relates to the true word of God. So I'm, I'm going to try not to stop it a lot, but I, I, we just need some context and really it needs some meat to chew on. So uh, just think through those things. This is a openly gay man teaching at a quote unquote church that is progressive Christian, quote unquote, and he is going to share his story, not open the Bible. Because I think some of us you know, don't know me super well, and I'd love to bridge that gap. And then kind of get into, like, what, what does it look like to be radically inclusive um, as a people, you know? So um, in the wake of Andy Stanley hosting an event, a conference called Unconditional for Parents of Queer Kids, the event is basically like helping parents in evangelicalism who have queer kids, like, get permission to be humane to their kids. And like how to care for them, which to me is like so frustrating. But then Andy got on stage at his church that following Sunday and kind of asserted that his church teaches a New Testament sexual ethic, that marriage is between one man and one woman, that their stance on same-sex sex is that it's sin. And then he cited the three clobber passages in the New Testament. And when I saw that, I could not believe what was happening. I was like, is this a joke? Are you kidding me? Like, what do you, what is going on? I was so upset. Of course, there's nuance and layers depending on where you're coming from that looking at this, but as a gay man in the Christian world, I don't have a ton of like wiggle room here. I'm like, So here, let me just uh, have to say this because although Andy Stanley has his own issues that I disagree with um, wholeheartedly, um, Andy Stanley was offering a time for evangelicals, people who profess to be Christians to be able to understand and navigate how to respond to their children when they come out as homosexual. So I, I, I don't necessarily think this was a bad thing because you can have the pendulum swing to the Westboro Baptist and just be disowning and you can um, really be rude and mean and, and, and just very irate to your children, or you can sw swing the pendulum and, and let it go and say, and, and, and welcome them and let them be inclusive. Um, or then you can learn how to navigate that from a biblical perspective. Now, does Andy Stanley have the biblical perspective on this? I, I don't know. I didn't listen to this teaching. I didn't go to the conference. Uh, so I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching parents how to navigate that. 
so they don't get mistreated as many gay people have. But but Mr. Here has a problem with that. And now as a gay man in a Christian world, there's, he doesn't have much wiggle room. So it sounds like we're on the verge of being a little bit intolerant of people like Andy Stanley and those who are true. And I want to say this, separating myself from Andy Stanley and, and others who are true biblical Christians who believe that homosexuality is truly still sin and always has been. So sounds like we're seeing a little bit of intolerance come out already. Like, that's not okay. I don't care how much influence you have. I don't care like who all is involved. Affirming theology that has historically been proven time and time again to dehumanize and harm a whole people group is not okay. Notice he didn't say a theology that has been proven time and time again to be wrong or to be debunked, but has been used to hurt people. Yes, it has, but that doesn't make that theology wrong. It simply makes his feelings hurt as a result of somebody telling him that homosexuality is a sin. Okay. Um, and that's my opinion. I'm not representing Grace Point when I say that, although I'm sure, you know, people here probably share similar sentiments, but I was like baffled and indignant. And so I'm preaching a message on being radically inclusive with that having just happened a couple weeks ago in our country. And I'm like, this is, it's 2023. It's so frustrating to me that we are still having this conversation, that it's still something that people want to debate about. And anyway, so, um, as I like wrestle through and process out, what is it? What do I do? How do I respond to stuff like this that just continues to happen, right? Like the emotional labor of being a queer person, having to be to revisit this over and over and over again is exhausting and so frustrating. Um, and it's like kind of difficult to not feel like queer friendly or queer affirming churches aren't just like a representation of like another segregation of a different targeted group of colored people. Um, like, how do we not see this? How are we still doing this? Right. And so um, I could spend our whole time just like railing against the absurdity and hypocrisy and frustrating reality that we're having to navigate here. Um, but I want to take us somewhere maybe a little bit more personal. Um, I've had to like change my posture and response to all this hate and toxicity because for a long time, the way that I survived being queer in an evangelical world was to ignore that this was happening to deny that it was a thing, that I had anything to do with it, just avoid it entirely. Um, that was my survival reaction. That's what I did to survive. I didn't know how else to like, process and be in that space. Um, and so I want to just kind of give you some context for where that came from. Um, but before I tell you my story, I just need to give you one disclaimer. I'm a little bit woo-woo. Uh, I'm not trying to be that way. I wasn't looking to be like this, but I understand, especially in a space like this, that's probably worth acknowledging. <laughs> so feel free to interpret and filter and translate what I say to you today, however you need to, to make it functional. Woo-woo. Um, but like I said, I was raised Baptist. And then when I was 18, I started having some like, spiritual experiences. He was raised right, by the way. A <laughs> uh, little jab for all you others out there in, in good fun, obviously. Uh, maybe maybe the Baptist church he grew up in was good. Maybe they taught well. Maybe they were like Westboro Baptist Church, if you know them. If you don't, look them up, Google. I'm not going to talk about them as far as how they acted and approached things. But uh, who knows what kind of Baptist church he was brought up in. But apparently, maybe he didn't like it. I don't know. Let's continue. That I didn't have a grid for, that my theology didn't have context for, my community, my church leaders didn't really know what to do with what I was experiencing. Um, and the language I would use to describe that was like, I... I met God. Like there was this divine presence that was incredibly personal and 
like loving feels like an understatement and humble and gracious and kind toward me that I didn't know. Like I'd studied and talked about God my most of my life. I didn't know that you could experience God. And I'm putting the air quotes on there because again, like filter and translate how you want. But I was having intense, like visceral encounters with, I don't know, like a divine person. I don't know. Um, that was changing my life. It was incredibly emotional and like wrecking me. And my theology, when I arrived to these experiences, did not hold a candle to what I was being affected by what was happening to me and and in these experiences i was being communicated with and this divine presence was affirming me as a gay person oh they wanted me to be gay and i could not tell anybody that this was oh coming up because none of no oh man oh man this div oh man this divine person that he encountered wanted him to be gay. <laughs> no, this divine person is not the God of the Bible. The divine person of the Bible is the God of the Bible who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of homosexuality, because people were like him. If this divine person wants him to be gay, then Sodom and Gomorrah would have never been destroyed. Homosexuality would have never been condemned in the scriptures, and the Bible would still be authoritative in this man's life today. No divine person, it, no God of the Bible, nobody came in a spiritual sense, in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a biblical way to tell him they wanted him to be gay. No way. This is ridiculous, and this is... This is absurd, and I'm sorry. I probably should have listened to this, but we're listening to it in real time together. Um, oh, man, so much I could say, but that of us would have believed me, right? They would. Everyone would have known that I was. No true Christian believes you. No true Christian believes that a divine person met you and you had an encounter or an experience with this divine person or being or existence or whatever he said, and, and he wants you to be gay. Nobody believes you. Maybe this unregenerate group in front of you might, but nobody believes you. That is a true Christian. Being deceived and like listening to a demon who is masking themselves as a being of light. Or That's more like it. Um, so anyway, uh, these experiences led me on a pilgrimage that, took me on a journey and I'm going to skip a bunch of the drama there because we don't have time for it today. But there is something that happened in that experience that I wanted to share in light of this conversation. So I was on a tropical island somewhere in the middle of the Pacific ocean when I was praying one night and basically just telling God I wanted to, my life to be like a window for them to express themselves and like show us what they cared about and what they wanted to go after. And I fell asleep praying that. And that night I had a dream. I was standing outside of the tomb where Jesus was buried and I was trying to get where Jesus was, but between me and the tomb was a woman in a red corporate power suit. Why? Hillary I don't know. Clinton. I can't answer that. But um, we <laughs> this man is dreaming of Hillary Clinton. Sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Probably. Should. I don't care. We were arguing, just going back and forth. Like I was trying to get past her, and I couldn't. And for whatever reason, she had authority over the estate. And finally, she goes, "Okay, fine, 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 fine. We'll get in there. We'll get his garments. You can have those. But you have to drop this. And his blood is no longer on my company's hands." And I fired back immediately. No, I want his dreams back from the dead. And then I woke up. Like I have a dead sleep and I was like, what just happened? And so I scribbled down everything from that dream I could because I knew something significant just took place. I don't understand it. I don't know where this is going, but this is changing my life. Oh God, right? So I went on a journey and again, skipping a bunch of drama, I eventually moved to a place called Redding, California um, to be part of a church called Bethel Church. And just so I have a grid for who I'm talking to, how many of you in this? Well, this explains a lot when he met this divine person who wants him to be gay. 
he went to Redding, California and attended Bethel Church, who, who re- regularly sees divine beings and encounters divine folks and um, sees these radical visions that are all fake and unbiblical. So this explains a lot, Mr. Me or Mr. You. I don't know his name, Mr. We'll just call him Mr. I didn't catch his name in the beginning. Maybe you did. But this explains a lot why you would lie to everyone, including everyone in the room, including us today, as to this divine being who wants you to be gay. You went to Bethel Church where they promote this kind of thing. This room know about Bethel Church in Redding, California. Yeah, I know about them. So half? Interesting. The other half of you... Bethel Church is a megachurch in the charismatic stream of Christianity. Um, they're known for chasing miracles and practicing prophecy and healing. Um, they are very centered around the presence of God and the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit. And then you can get into weirder stuff, but that's kind of the gist. Um, and so I went there because like, I had to do some research. I had to like explore and like uncover, like where is this coming from? What am I experiencing what are Jesus's dreams back from the dead? I don't know, but these people seem to have a great for dream interpretation and seem to think that the divine communicates to us through this. So like, yeah, there's a lot of reasons for how I ended up going there, but um, I ended up going to the school, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. And if you're thinking that's like Harry Potter for Christians, you were correct. Christian Hogwarts. Yeah, so I did first and second year there. On the second day of first year, I saw a woman sitting in a chair as I was going to the class. And I felt something in me, like powerfully compelling me to befriend her. I didn't know anybody at school. So I like literally jumped over like rows of chairs and like plopped in front of her and was like, hey, is someone sitting there? And pointed at the chair next to her with her bag. And there were 13 empty, empty chairs along the row. I'm pointing to the chair next to her. I was like, is someone sitting there? She's like, no. It's like, can I sit there? <laughs> she was like, okay. Moves her bag, I sit down. We became fast friends. I kind of postured her like a mentor to me. She taught me a lot about discernment in the spirit world. Um, a lot of things I've had to recover from since. Uh, but she also had kind of a spooky vibe to her. Like she just, I don't know, she knew stuff that like she shouldn't have been able to know. And she was awkwardly accurate and consistently demonstrated. Like, I don't know. It's crazy when the progressive Christians who are not Christians are ac- accurately describing other people who profess to be Christians who aren't really a spooky existence about her. You're right. Uh, if you're going to the, the Christian Hogwarts, there's going to be a spookiness about everything that's going on there. So he's laying it out. Yeah, she probably had a spooky spirit. Not sure where he's headed with this, but it's interesting how that one unbelieving group can can really kind of pinpoint the other unbelieving group and just call each other out. That kind of makes our job easier. understand how she can do this, but homegrown knows stuff. Kind of like a witch or a psychic was kind of the vibe that she carried, you know? Yeah. And so a couple months into school, I pulled her aside and was like, hey... I need your help. Um, and I came out to her. Uh, but coming out at that point was basically I told her I struggled with being attracted to men. Can she help me? So she, um, we went to the side of my apartment complex under some trees and she sozoed me. Anybody here know what that means? Less. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Bethel has an inner healing model that they call sozo. And it's basically a certain way of like doing inner healing ministry on people or, and or deliverance should it get to that. Um, so I wanted her to deliver me to like find the demon or the, the issue, the trauma, the whatever, and heal it, fix it, change it, right? So she says to me, nothing happened. Um, and we moved on, moved on with our lives. But every once in a while at school, there would be these opportunities for gay people to be ministered to. I remember there was this one service where the prophet of the house was preaching. And in the middle of his sermon, he had an altar call for gay people. And he was like, hey, if you struggle with being attracted to someone of the same gender, stand up. The Holy Spirit is going to heal you. You're going to get delivered of a homosexual spirit. And so some few brave or crazy or whatever people stood up and i'm like what are you doing why would you do this right like and because it's wrong people in the room of like 400 people for this smaller service um and my friend's like nudging me like 
And I'm like, don't touch me. And she's like typing on her phone. Like, I feel like this is God. This is your moment. Like the Lord is leading you to this. This is your healing, your breakthroughs right now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to let God tell me that. Um, so I didn't stand up because I'm not an idiot. Um, <laughs> Because like if something doesn't happen to them, if they don't get healed, if they don't get delivered, what happens, right? They don't get to recover from this moment. They will be socially stigmatized for the rest of their time there. Um, and I'm like, that's a bummer. I'm sorry you guys made this decision and that you risked it. I hope something great happens for you. But man, that's not a great move in my opinion. Um, anyway, fast forward on the last day of second year, they have a knighting ceremony where the head apostle and the head prophet, it sounds weird talking about them like this because I know these human beings, but just contextually, it's faster. And they're holding like medieval swords. Like, I'm not making this up. And this ceremony is like proof that we weren't a cult, right? And they're like <laughs> knighting you as you're graduating from this journey in this class. And so I got knighted and went through. And that the, when I got out of that, um, I got pulled into the principal's office, basically. Um, and I found out that that friend that I came out to outed me to the pastors. And so they were deeply concerned and like <laughs> had a problem that they needed to fix. And so the short version of the story goes, like graduation was in se seven hours, right? Like the ceremony was that evening. And they're like, we cannot graduate you. And I was like, oh, what? Whoa, whoa, okay. This isn't going how I thought. I don't understand what's happening. Um, and it was like a traumatizing experience. Uh, I left everything I knew and had to get Jesus' dreams back from the dead. And I just got kicked out of ministry school. And I'm pretty sure this is not how that's supposed to happen. Oh, no, right? So I got put on a purity plan. I keep like walking around this. Um, so I got put into the men's sexual purity group which was basically the sexual addicts anonymous group of the church. And at that point I was a very repressed gay person. So I basically had no sexuality. Um, and I'm sitting in these small group circles and these guys are like telling me, you know, about how often they're masturbating every day and what kind of porn they're looking at and what they're doing with prostitutes and what they're doing at the gas station. And I'm like shocked at what I'm hearing. I'm like, you're doing what with whom? And like, why? Like, I don't, this is not my experience. I am not familiar with any of this stuff. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't know that I'm supposed to be in this group. Um, I got put in this, I, they picked a certain counselor at the transformation center and I had to do some sozo sessions with this person. And so I was like, okay, get the demons out, shoot me with lightning. I don't care. Like, let's, let's do the thing. And none of that happened. And he's like, you're good to go, Mike. And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? Nothing happened. Like <laughs> I'm the same person. And I'm like, how are you done? He's like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I don't know. I don't think this guy was affirming, but he had like explored my relationship. So let me just say what this sounds like. It sounds like unbiblical churches doing unbiblical things trying to knight people and drive out spirits of sexuality and different things like that. That's, that's weird. That's not what the Bible tells us to do. This man needed to be sitting under solid biblical preaching and the proclamation of the word of God and the proclamation of the gospel and in hopes that God would change this man from the inside out. We can't knight it out of somebody. We can't push it out of somebody. We can't scare it out of somebody. We can't do any it's sin. It's, it's fallen nature, but Again, the problem with progressive Christians is they don't believe in, in original sin. They don't believe that as one man sinned, sin and death spread to all men, Romans 5. They don't believe the Bible, which is why they don't have one there on the platform, stage, carpet, whatever that is. They don't have one, and uh, that, that speaks very highly of what they believe or, or and what they don't believe. And, and this is why he is still a—, a, a a homosexual who professes to be a Christian is because he went to the wrong church to try to figure things out. Uh, he needed to hear the true biblical gospel and, and he got something far weirder relationship with my dad and my mom and my siblings and my childhood and tried to like find if there was any traumatic memories that were repressed. And like, there was a lot of, you know, and he's like, I, there's nothing wrong with you. You're good. And I'm like, okay. So I ended up working with another counselor who was the son of the head prophet of the school of the church. And this was the turning point for me where I was like, oh, I don't think that 
we know what we're doing here. He was like, Mike, of course, I would never suggest that you do this, but like if we put you in a room and had you have sex with like Brazilian bikini models over and over again, eventually you'd learn to like it. And I was like, this is happening right now. <laughs> All right. So at that point, I realized like, oh, this place doesn't have an answer for me. They don't have a solution. They don't have any like actual path for me to follow that's going to like give me hope or freedom or happiness or <laughs> like they don't have it. Okay, that sucks. So the closet was the solution, right? Just, okay, I'm going to make it work in here. That's what I get to experience. Um, I think I also have like speakers come in sometimes, once in a while, like Cy Rogers. I don't know if you guys know who that person was, but he came and spoke at our school and he used to be a cross-dresser is what they said back then. And, you know, had a bunch of illicit sex, sex with a bunch of guys and then got, got saved and then married a woman and had kids. And like, he was now the poster child of like, this is the path that gay people are supposed to go on. And I didn't relate to either end of his experience. I'm like, the only thing we have in common is that we're attracted to men, but like, what? Like, what kind of representation is this? And there was, it was a very biased narrative around gay people and their existence in the world. And there was a very specific path that we all had to go down. And I experienced my version of that. I was like, this is not wholeness. This is not freedom. Okay, I'm going to just not receive help from this group of people here, right? Um, anyway, so after that, I got hired on staff <laughs> at this church. And I don't know if this is like Stockholm Syndrome, like why I didn't just like walk away. I, I like got more involved. So I started working there. And then they started asking me to like lead mission trips for the school and take interns for the internship that I wasn't eligible to be part of. And then like start teaching in the school that kicked me out. I hope he gives us an idea of what kind of church this was to, to have him come on staff there after all that he's been through, after being open and affirming and saying, I'm out of the closet, I'm gay. What kind of church is this? Is this this church? Is this a church like it? I, I would, would I bet it's a, a progressive church like this that got him on the road he's on and the path he's on now. Out. Um, and then I started like traveling and speaking all over the world. And that head prophet guy started sharing my social media writings on his social media. And I started developing an online presence and this platform and this brand and this whatever started growing. Yeah. Church with a head prophet. No, <laughs> still the wrong way. And the more successful I became, the more public and visible and like the more notoriety I experienced, the thicker those closet walls or doors became, right? The stakes just got higher and higher. And I think it just started getting harder and harder to breathe. And I just kept making do with the lung capacity I had at that point. And so six years from that dream on that tropical island, I was at a church in Portland and about to preach and it's in the middle of worship. And that dream starts looping in my head without my consent. Like I wasn't trying to think about it. It just started on repeat, right? We'll get in there. We'll get his garment. Hold on. So something popped into your mind, a dream that you had and you did not give it consent to pop into your mind and for you to replay that. Can you see the absurdity of the liberal left and how crazy this stuff is? And I think he was being serious. He didn't give his mind consent to bring up that dream. It just invaded his space. That is absurdity. It's insanity. It's a mental illness. This kind of thinking is not right. Something has to be done, and it is the gospel. Man, this one is more frustrating, I think, than any of watched so far. You can have those, but you got to drop this. His blood is no longer on my company's hands. No, I want his dreams back from the dead, right? Over and over again. And so finally, I was like, God, are you trying to say something to me? Like, this is really distracting. I'm like, I got to preach. Like, is this you? And the moment zeroed in. And again, if God is saying anything to anybody, it is going to be from the word of God. The, but you have to believe the Word of God to know that God speaks only through the Word of God. We've said this over and over again on this this podcast. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago 
to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. John 1, 1. We have to go to John 1, 1. If he has spoken in his son, then we have to go see what John 1, 1 says. Again, this is for all you that actually believe the Bible or are actually searching that are watching this. Um, this is This is for you. Uh, and if you're a progressive Christian, you must repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, when you do so, you will believe the true word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John 1, 1 teaches us that the Word is God. The Word was with God. So we can, we th- when we think about the Word, we think about Christ. We think about the Word. We think about the Scriptures, 66 books that we have. This is the way that God speaks now, not through dreams and not through unsolicited memories of dreams before he gets up to preach a false gospel. Again, like filter this how you need to, but I heard in somewhere inside of me very clearly Mike, it's you. You're it. You were my dream back from the dead. And uh, I was not prepared. I was not ready to hear that. That wasn't, what am I supposed to do with that? You know? So I'm like crying. I'm like crying. I got to preach in five minutes. I'm like, oh, God. Look, one, it's a beautiful sentiment, right? I was surprised. It was like an M. Night Shyamalan moment where like something happens at the end of the film that changes how you experience the whole story. Only this is my life. I'm like, I had been running around like all over the world. Like I had gone through this journey and like become someone else looking for Jesus's dreams back from the dead. And here I get to find out that I've had it this whole time. It's been me like cute. No, that can't be, that can't be true. I can't be God's dream back from the dead. Why? Because I'm still gay, right? I'm still gay. Like I'm the gayest I've ever been. This is not, this isn't it. <laughs> you can't want this, right? And so like I had so many experiences where I had, Witnessed God being an affirming, still openly gay, the gayest he's ever been, mocking God. This is something that you do not want to do. You don't want to mock the God of the Bible. And this is not the God of the Bible speaking to him. Just in case you're wondering if this is truly God, no, it's not, because he's not reading his Bible. He's not reading his Bible out loud. This is demonic activity. This is something that is happening in the spiritual realm. Things that the Bible says is unseen. Ephesians chapter 6 it tells us that there is this unseen spiritual battle and we are in a spiritual warfare and this is demonic. This is from Satan. This is not the true God of the Bible. This is not the divine uh, God. This is not Christ. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is the enemy who is keeping him right where he wants him, unsaved, unregenerate, and living a lifestyle of homosexuality. So just to be clear, God is not speaking to this man loving not just ally but like whatever is a stronger word than that for me as a gay person but my theology and my community and my leaders and my family like they all disagreed so i had to like make a choice i was like okay god loves me this is awesome i'm good there i can't say yes to this so i just kept doing the closeted performative thing and just kept becoming more successful i'm putting air quotes on that until one day i watched a documentary on Netflix called Miss Americana. It's a documentary about Taylor Swift. If you didn't know that. Um, I was in a painful place in my life where I'm wrestling through like being at Bethel and dealing with the leadership there and just some things that aren't going well. And one day I watched this movie and halfway through the film, Taylor goes hard on gay rights, opposing legislation in Nashville, Tennessee specifically. And she's like, this is about right and wrong. It's about human rights. 
I can't sit back and do nothing. She's like getting really emotional. And I have this experience that I can only relate to as being a spiritual, as being spiritual conviction. I'm like, this woman knows something that I don't. She's touched something here that I haven't. And she's right. I'm wrong. Like I'm missing something. And it has to do with the whole gay thing, but I didn't know what to do. So I just left it alone. I ignored it. I'm like, I don't know what that was, right? Just avoid, ignore, deny, survive, right? Two weeks later, I'm like pacing in my living room, praying, just like trying to process with God how I'm going to deal with challenges at Bethel. And then this passage in the Bible from Acts 10, like drops into my mind, which wasn't normal for me, but it happened. Um, it's the story of Peter going on the roof and falling into a trance. I pulled up on my phone and read the whole thing. He falls into a trance and a sheet comes down from heaven. And it says in the sheet are all these animals that Jewish people aren't allowed to eat. Right? Praise God, God for this sheet. Rise, Peter, chill, eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God, and God says, don't, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. This happens three times and then the sheet goes back up. And all I'm aware of as I'm reading this in this moment is. Praise God now for hamburgers, cheeseburgers, deer meat, bacon, sausage, ham, turkey, mm, chicken. Any others? Comment below. What else were we thanking God for because of that dream that Peter had of the sheet coming down and all these animals in it uh, arise, kill, and eat? Praise God that we can eat meat and it be for his glory and not our own. This, the feeling, this internal whatever, this feeling is the same exact feeling I had two weeks ago with Taylor Swift. Like, is this about the gay thing? Like, Is God trying to tell me that being gay is okay? It's quite a leap. I don't know how to substantiate that. I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to avoid this. I'm going to deny that this is happening. <laughs> I'm going to survive, right? And then three weeks from that moment, I'm in the back of the woods of my neighborhood. And I'm at this point, like literally yelling to the universe. I'm so angry and like having to manage some psychologically abusive dynamics. I don't know what to do with. And I again get interrupted by a passage in the gospels in Matthew and Luke. So I pull up my phone and read the whole thing. Um, and it starts... Uh, Luke 11, 50, 46, Jesus is rebuking the teachers of the law. And he says, you heap rules and requirements on the people without lifting a finger to help them. And he goes off about the prophets and their tombs and the hypocrisy of this generation. And he concludes the rebuke with, you prevent people from entering the kingdom while you yourselves refuse to enter. And when I read that final verse of that section, my life changed. Like that was the breaking point. Um, All of a sudden, like I'm being rebuked by Jesus. I'm with those teachers of the law. I'm with the religious elite. I'm the people with the platform being paid, being celebrated, being promoted. And we've got victims in the closet and people who like chose to trust us and be vulnerable and authentic and what we did to them. I didn't do that to them, but I didn't stop it. And I was platformed by this institution that was doing it. There's so many queer people at Bethel and I knew what was happening to them. It happened to me. And it was only getting worse, right? They eventually created a ministry that was, its whole motive was to like change gay people and make them straight. And I kept ignoring and denying and avoiding what was happening. And all of a sudden, finally, this like straw that broke the camel's back, like I couldn't keep doing it anymore. I can't be part of this. So once I like internally accepted, like this has to change, all I was aware of was everything I was going to lose. My platform, my ministry, my reputation, income, access, community. I mean, that's a lot to lose all at once. Um, and I think we should ask ourselves as just like, a, as a society, like, why should someone have to give up all that for being who they are? It's like strange that we even get here. Right. But anyway, so I got to wrestle through that and like count the cost, <laughs> take up my cross. Ew. Like, you know, so I started coming out to people, close people in my life, 
Um, and then nobody in my life was affirming that had any space to speak into my life, right? So everyone got to be like, oh, okay, interesting. What do we do with this? Fascinating. Um, and then I went hard on the, the theology and I confronted it. And when we start talking about rad being radically inclusive, this is something that I wanna bring up in this conversation. I've been in a lot of inclusive spaces since I've come out publicly. And I really appreciate the effort and the intentionality and all that, right? There is something that can happen when it comes to, at least just, let's just talk this subject. We can be performatively inclusive, right? We can be told who to include and how to include them and what that looks like, and we can behave. We can do what we're told, we can follow instructions. That's one form of being inclusive. And I wanna propose a deeper version of that. One that isn't performative, one that's not us doing what we're told. One that comes from somewhere more powerful, I guess, is what I propose. And so as I've like walked out in my journey and the version of Christianity and spirituality that I've experienced with God, I found that getting to know God, if that's a thing and whatever that looks like for whoever of us, um, it gets scarier and scarier. Like the further down this road I've gotten, the more scarier. Whatever that looks like to us, to know God, whatever that looks like to us, it doesn't look like being reconciled to God by forsaking your sin and, and turning your back on your sin, repenting of sin and, and living for the glory of God. It, it Apparently for him, knowing God means to be coming out of the closet, to be inclusive, to be all inclusive, radically inclusive, to tell everybody you're gay and live in light of that and 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 not let anybody bring you down. That's that's not the Bible. And uh, obviously he's taking a bunch of Bible passages, well, not a bunch, but a couple of Bible passages completely out of context and ripped it to form his own narrative, a narrative that is going to send him straight to hell, unfortunately. It's gotten more costly. And as I, as I had to confront my own internalized homophobia and heterosexism, I had to look like, I had to look on the inside. I had to confront what was happening in me before I could address what was going on around me, right? So in Psalm 23, I'm going to degender God in this passage, but the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. They make me lie down in green pastures. They lead me beside quiet waters or still waters. They restore my soul. What a foolish thing to do is to degender God when all throughout the Bible, God is a he. This is reprobation in full view. This is unregenerate people. This is an unregenerate man who will go to hell unless he truly repents of his sin and believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. And there, that is, there, that's all we can say. And that, come, that may come across hateful to some of you, but unfortunately it's the truth. Let's look at Psalm 23. He's saying, they make me lie down in green pastures. The Lord is my shepherd. They, or I shall not want, they makes me lie down in green pastures. No, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He says, they leads me besides quiet water. No, he leads me beside quiet waters. They restores my soul. No, he restores my soul. They guides me in the path of righteousness for their name's sake. No, he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Degendering God is one of the foolish things you can do that clearly is foolish because the Bible is clearly presenting himself as a he. And you can't even say they if you say, well, is aren't there three in one? No, there, there's three different persons. One God, he. Yes, Jesus is a he. The Holy Spirit is a he. But it's he, not they, them. Nothing else. You don't degender the God of this universe. Foolishness.
when you stand next to still water. It makes me think of Paul, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? This man has been bewitched. Apparently, it started at Bethel in, in the school of ministry and miraculous healings or whatever they call that thing. Uh, he's been bewitched. He he has been hoodwinked. He's foolish, and we'll pay for it. What do you see? Your reflection, yourself. Where does God take this person they're leading in this passage to a reflection? And what restores their soul? They get to see themselves. It's cute, right? It's a cute idea. Oh, I like that. It's a cute idea. But when we start talking about Jesus or the Christ or the kingdom, heaven, right? These are some really like particular ideas that when we say those things out loud, I think some of us have different ideas about them, right? And we could discuss whatever. For me, when we talk about the kingdom, I've had to wrestle through what I, from a fundamental place, like at this point, have to believe about the kingdom, what the kingdom even is and how it works. Remember that rebuke. You prevent people from entering the kingdom while you yourselves refuse to enter. And something that I've had to face and wrestle through in my own process of being a gay person who cares about, loves God, I didn't want to enter the kingdom. I didn't want to. Why? <sighs> when Jesus talks about the kingdom, they're like, hey, when's the kingdom of heaven going to come? When is the kingdom of God going to come? Right? Is what the Pharisees are asking him. He's like, the kingdom is not something to be observed. You're not going to say it's over there. Or here it is, right? Because the kingdom is within you. And I'd like to propose the kingdom is a little bit more difficult to enter than some of us realize. And it's not a space. It's not a group. It's not a location. The kingdom is a mirror. <laughs> and for gay people, queer people, being raised in an evangelical space, they are taught that their mirror is hell, is demonic, is perverse, is abominable, is, is sin. That's a really hard reflection to accept, right? You were taught to hate yourself. No one says those words, but that's the eventual outcome of that process if you follow it to the most logical conclusion. And so on my journey of trying to figure out how to become inclusive, how to confront the stuff that I'd been taught, for so long, I kept coming up against a mirror. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, the but the kingdom of God is a mirror. The kingdom of God is a reflection of yourself. Come on. This is ignorant jargon to make people feel better about themselves in their sin. When the kingdom of the kingdom of God is here and it is not fully consummated yet, but it's it, we live in the already not yet. If you're a believer, you belong to the kingdom of God. One day when it's fully consummated, it will be a place, a physical place where we will be with God and he will be with his people. And these people that think that the, the kingdom of God is just a reflection in the mirror, they will no longer be here. They will be cast into eternity forever. Look into the mirror. You see a person who is born in sin. You should hate your sin, not hate yourself. Hate your sin because you have sinned against a holy and perfect God. You have committed just the most vile act with one breaking of the law. And yes, you deserve death and hell. But does do people want people to go to hell? No. But people do. And that's just the, the reality of who God is. This, this is, this is foolish. I wanted to stop preventing people from being able to get in. 
But part of the way I was going to do that was I had to look at myself. I had to face the things about me that I've been taught to hate and hide and avoid, ignore and deny. I had to look at them, not just observe, not just judge or criticize or condemn. I had to do something scarier. I had to find love for that person. I had to redefine what does love even look like? What does affirmation look like? What does embracing a queer person look like? And I had to start with me. And it was scary and painful and lonely, right? Um, there wasn't a ton of clear example around me in the world that I was in. But standard, I hope we can actually evolve to a place where we are authentically inclusive, where we don't need to be told who to embrace, who to love. We don't need to be convinced why. We don't need essays and PowerPoints and doctorates and books to convince us to include people. I wrote some notes here that I didn't want to like say wrong or like miss saying them. Um, my queer experience compelled me to, to look at me, right? To look at the terrifying truth about who I am. And it's actually not my queer identity that was terrifying. It's the reality that I'm loved beyond merit, period. That I'm intrinsically and completely lovable without any additives or accessories or alteration. I'm not lovable, lovable because I'm gay. I'm not lovable because I'm smart or kind. I'm lovable because I'm alive. The very breath within us is verification of our worthiness, of our lovability. You don't have to have certain parameters or circumstances or conditions to be lovable. Guess what? You just, you already are because you exist, because you're alive. We have to include ourselves in the narrative of love. Like we can talk about other people and their plights and their experiences and be like, yeah, we can love them. But what happens when you're talking about the mirror? And I'm not just talking about queer people. Like you might be straight as an arrow or a nail or I don't know, whatever, straight things. I'm not very familiar with straightness. <laughs> you might be straight. The kingdom is still a mirror for you. And you might not have experienced heterosexism and homophobia as like barring restrictions for your existence, but there are parts of you that you've been taught you're not allowed to love. Forget love, you're not even allowed to look at. You're not allowed to be honest about. You're not allowed to admit. And I'd like to propose to you that the kingdom, if the kingdom is anything, the kingdom is that. The kingdom is you, is you, honest, without the additives, without the alterations, without the ceaseless striving of worth-producing accomplishments to protect yourself from the risk of loving you. Like I've done my whole life. And I can't help but feel like, I know I'm just talking to Grace Point, but just like maybe church at large, specifically Christians, the path ahead for us, if we want to actually be radically inclusive, we have to face ourselves. That is the gate, that is the door, that is the access point. Like if we can't love and embrace us, then we only have performative inclusion to offer other people. So I don't know what it is for you. And for a lot of us, I don't know why, but sex comes up. Sex, sex, I'm saying it, I'm saying sex out loud, sex. <laughs> Sexual things, sex things, pleasure, desire, sex. I am uncomfortable. I don't wanna say that out loud here, why not? Our humanity has been vilified. We've been duped. We've been tricked into learning how to hate certain things about ourselves purposefully. For what? 
for acceptance, <laughs> to, to have access to the kingdom. I would like to propose to you that's a really poor translation of the Bible. I would like to propose to you, if you want to enter the kingdom like a little child, you're going to have to get honest with that reflection. You're going to have to get honest with what you're looking at. How much of that person are you willing to see? How much of them is it? All right. So that's going to be enough of that for today. I'm going to go ahead and end it there because we are getting up to that one hour mark. And honestly, what he's basically saying is the kingdom of God is you and you have to be inclusive with yourself. You have to be looking in that mirror and understand that you have to include yourself. You have to be kind to yourself. You have to be good to yourself. You have to accept yourself for who you are. And then you can accept others for who they are, not just by performance based, but by uh, being authentically inclusive. So this is another plea uh, to remain unregenerate and still be able to claim a portion of God. And you can't do that. Progressive Christianity is no Christianity at all. And instead of belaboring the point, you heard what this man said. If you heard that what this man said and believe what this man said, you need to reach out to me at doctrine matters podcast at gmail.com doctrine matters podcast, all one word, lowercase, no spaces, doctrine matters podcast, gmail.com. And we need to have a further conversation because what this man said is absolutely 100% unbiblical and untrue. He used uh, scripture and other things to create a poor narrative of what he believes and what he believes will send him to hell. So I hope you don't believe this. And again, after the third crash course on progressive Christianity, I am not convinced as uh, if anything else, I am burdened for these people that are sitting here listening to this filth and foolishness that this man has spewed from this room on this day, which was sometime in 2023. Um, and I just close with this. It's probably one of those verses that he would say that Christians beat them over the head with, but it is true nonetheless. Or do you not know? First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine through 11, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So if you're unrighteous, if you're living in sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, whatever that may be to him, which is a reflection that you're the kingdom of God. No, you won't inherit yourself. Anyway, I digress. You won't inherit the true kingdom of God. Those who are unrighteous do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkenness, uh, nor revilers, not swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then it says in verse 11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. There were some people that were homosexuals that are now true believers. They're not condoning their sin. They're not justifying their sin. They're not promoting their sin. Uh, they They hate the sin and they live in light of who God is. So if that's you, repent of your sin and believe the gospel and find yourself in a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church. And until then, we'll try one or two more times to see about progressive Christianity. But so far, it belongs in the trash bin because it is not of the Bible, and it's nowhere close to being true biblical content as to what the Lord has given us through His Word. So until then, um, keep reading your Bibles. If you have any questions, please reach out, comment, send an email, whatever you need to do to get a hold or, or lay a comment in. Uh, just do that and uh, share this with your friends. I'd love for, because this thing is spreading like wildfire, this progressive Christianity, and people need to know the truth. So until next time, God bless.